Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want, you to, I want to invite you to do something with me today. I want you to join me not in just celebrating Easter as a historical event, but I want us to do our very best to try to come into the reality of Easter today. Because if we're, if we're not careful, Easter has become nothing more than just a historical event that we celebrate this time every year. But for those who experienced that very first Easter, it was not a historical event for them. It was their reality. It's kind of like this pandemic that we've been in over the last year. There will come a day when others will read the history books and in those history books perhaps will be recorded the events of this pandemic that we've gone in and to them, gone through and to them that are reading about it, it's nothing more than a historical event. But for us, it's reality because we've lived it and thankfully, those of you here this morning have lived through it. And, and so this morning, I want this to be more than just a historical event that we celebrate. Let's, let's try to get into the skin of the disciples today and, and, and get into the reality of Easter. Because when you talk about the reality of those disciples, think about how they must have felt I mean, they had given up everything to follow this man named Jesus. They had left their businesses. They had left their families. And for three and a half years, they spent most every single day of their life listening to Jesus teach, watching Jesus perform miracles. They were there that last night of Jesus' life and shared a last meal with him. This, this was the man that they had placed all of their hopes in, a man that they had placed all of their dreams in. But their reality now is this man is hanging dead on a cross. And as far as they are concerned with the death of that man was the death of their hopes, was the death of their dreams. Perhaps they felt like those two men in John chapter 20 that all the Bible tells us, it doesn't tell us what their names were. It just tells us that there were two men that were on the road to Emmaus. And they were not yet aware that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then suddenly Jesus appears to them on that road to Emmaus, but they don't recognize that it is Jesus. And so as they're walking along the road and they're talking to Jesus, here's how they expressed themselves. They said that we had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And you know, if I were to ask some of you this morning, what is your reality? Some of you would say, Pastor, my reality is not real good today. 
My reality is, is that I was hoping that I wouldn't be celebrating Easter this year without someone very special in my life. My hope was, is that God was going to hear my prayer and that God was going to heal my spouse or God was going to heal that family member or God was going to heal that friend. But instead of them being healed, they died. That's my reality. Some of you here this morning would say that my reality is that my marriage is hanging by a thread. Some of you others here this morning would say that your reality is that my business is about to go bankrupt. For, so, so for some of you this morning, your reality is not very good. Just like those disciples on that first Easter, their reality was not very good. As far as they were concerned, when Jesus died on that cross and when his body was placed in an empty tomb, their hopes died with him. Their dreams, they said, we had hope that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. We pick up the story here in John chapter 19. And I want you to look at this passage of scripture closely with me this morning because I'm hoping that you're going to see something that maybe you've never seen before. But in John chapter 19, verses 41 and 42, John tells us that the place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus' dead body in that tomb. Now that's the end of John chapter 19. Verse 42 is the last verse in that chapter. And it ends telling us that the dead body of Jesus is taken off the cross and placed in a tomb. The very next verse is verse 1 of chapter 20, but the story continues. And listen to what verse 1 of chapter 20 says. It says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. He is not here. He is risen. He is alive. Wait, 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 hold on just a minute, because I think you might be missing something. You may have never seen this in this story before, but notice on Friday, they take the dead body of Jesus off the cross, and they place him in a tomb, and then the story goes from Friday and just skips right over to Sunday to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here you have these disciples. These disciples are caught in the middle. They're in the middle of despair and hope. They're in the middle of struggle and solution. They're in the middle of prayers being prayed but not yet answered. The story tells us that on Friday, his body was taken off the cross. It was placed in a tomb and then just skips over Saturday to Sunday at the resurrection. Saturday, there's the crying of reality on Friday 
There's the shout of resurrection on Sunday. But what about the silence of Saturday? We, we cry at our reality. We shout at our resurrection. But sometimes I don't think we know how to navigate the middle. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about the middle. And I think many of us here in this room today can understand what life in the middle feels like. What life in the middle looks like. If you're a believer this morning, a follower of Jesus Christ, you are living life in the middle. The Bible tells us and refers to us Christians as strangers, as pilgrims, as nomads. We are, we are in between. We, we're not where we were, but we're not yet where we're going. It's the same way with our salvation. You heard me talk about it a few weeks ago. That our salvation, there are three aspects of our salvation. That we have been saved, our spirit has been saved. Our soul is being saved, and one day our body will be saved. The biblical terms are justification. You were justified with Christ by faith. That happened at your salvation. That's justification. One day you're going to be glorified. Your body is going to be glorified. You will have an eternal body that will live forever. But in between justification... And glorification is sanctification. It's God working in us to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And we're not who we used to be, but we're definitely not who we're going to be. So we're just kind of living life in the middle. And I'm convinced today that if we don't know how to navigate life through the middle... That if we do not outlast the middle, we will never experience a resurrection. And so today, I want to talk to you about life in the middle. And we're going to begin talking about the method of the middle. Because you know, when, when you look at it, it, it doesn't really matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have. It doesn't matter which side of the tracks you come from. All of our middles pretty much have the same things in them. All of our middle begins with a reality. And as I said, some of you today, your reality is not real good. Your, your reality is uncertain. Your, your reality is not sure. Some of you, as I said, you're facing a reality of loss. Some of you are facing a, 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 re, a reality of, of losing a family member or losing a marriage or losing a business or losing some finances. Your, your reality is not very good. And, and every reality that we face leads us to a dilemma. That is, that reality forces us to make a choice. What are we going to do with our reality? Let's take Adam and Eve as an example. Adam and Eve had a good reality. They, they had a perfect reality. They'd been created by God. They had been placed in the Garden of Eden in a completely perfect environment. Wouldn't that be an awesome envir environment to live in? 
where everything and everybody is perfect. And that was their reality. But God told them, he said, Adam and Eve, you're, you're welcome to eat from every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the reason God told that was not necessarily to present them with a dilemma. He did it for their protection. But what God did for their protection became a dilemma to them. Now they're having to face a choice. Are we going to obey God and not eat from this tree or are we going to disobey God and eat from this tree? Now let me tell you what every dilemma presents itself to if we're not careful. Every dilemma opens the door to deception. That's why when you are in a dilemma, it's very important who you listen to. And it's very important what you listen to. Because the devil will always try to take advantage of the dilemmas of your life to deceive you. And that's exactly what he did with Adam and Eve. When they had a reality that was perfect but was faced with a dilemma where they had to make a choice, they listened to the deception of the devil. They listened to the lies of the enemy. The devil telling them, well, the reason that God doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because he knows that when you do, you're going to be just like him and you're going to be able to discern between good and evil. And in their dilemma, they listened to the wrong voice. And listen to me, when you're in a dilemma, if you listen to the wrong voice, you're going to end up making the wrong decision. Who you listen to when you are in a dilemma is going to determine what kind of choice you make. And what did Adam and Eve do? They listened to the deception. They listened to the lies of the enemy. And you and I need to know this morning that every decision that we make always leads to the death of something. If you make a good decision, then it's going to lead to a death of heartache and guilt and shame. If you make a good decision, then it's going to lead to death of doing things your way and your plan. But if you make a bad decision, let me tell you what's going to die. Good things are going to die in your life. God's plan is going to die. God's destiny for your life is going to die. Joy and peace and everything that comes along with making a decision that is based on the will of God, based on the word of God, a decision that you made after seeking first the kingdom of God, that kind of a decision is going to, to when you make that good decision, it's going to lead to some things dying in your life that need to die in your life. But that decision always brings with it death. And the decision that Adam and Eve made was a decision to disobey God. And what did that lead to? It led to spiritual death for all of mankind because that sin has now separated you and I from God. Now I want you to see this. When you make the right decision, it will end up with you experiencing deliverance in your life. But when you make the wrong decision, you will end up needing deliverance in your life. I need to say that again. You make the right decision, 
you'll experience some deliverance in your life. You make the wrong decision, and you're going to end up needing some deliverance in your life. Let's talk about the Apostle Peter here for just a few minutes. There's really no reason why the Apostle Peter should have been surprised by his reality. No reason why he should have been surprised by the crucifixion, by the death of Jesus. You say, why? Because look at what happens in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. It says that from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. Everybody say plainly. He told his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the law. And he also told his disciples plainly that he was going to be killed, but that on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Now notice, Jesus had plainly told them before this ever happened that it was going to happen. But how many of you know that it's one thing to know that something has a possibility of happening or that something has a probability of happening and then that thing actually happening? Jesus, when he left the upper room that last night of his life, after he had had that last supper with his disciples, he comes out of the upper room. He and his disciples are headed toward the Mount of Olives. And as they're headed toward the Mount of Olives, Jesus just kind of puts his arm around Peter. And he said, Peter, there's some things that you need to know. He said, I'm, I'm telling you the truth, Peter, that this very night, before the rooster crows, you are going to deny three times that you even know me. Notice what Peter's response is. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you, and all the other disciples vowed the same. How many of you know it's one thing to say you won't do something, but then when you're presented with the reality it's not as easy to not do what you said you would never do. And so we now have Peter not just facing a reality, but a dilemma. There's a dilemma in his life because now that night has come. And now he has to make the choice. Am I going to stand for Christ or am I going to deny Christ? And you remember with dilemma, if we're not careful, if we listen to the wrong voices, if we listen to the wrong things, we will end up deceived. And Peter was deceived. Let me tell you about Peter's deception. The night that Jesus was crucified and he went to the Mount of Olives with his disciples, he took Peter, James, and John with him on that mountain. And when he got near a place called Gethsemane, he told Peter, James, and John, he said, I want you guys to stay right here. And he said, I'm going to go a little distance away, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to have some personal time with my father. But he said, what I need you to do is I need you to watch and pray. Now, why did Jesus, and why was Jesus telling Peter, James, and John to pray? 
He was telling them to pray because he knew that they were about to experience the most difficult challenge of their life. He knew that they were about to experience the most difficult trial of their life. And he says, if you're going to be strong enough to overcome that trial when it's presented to you, then you're going to have to make sure that through prayer you have prepared yourself. But every time that Jesus came back to check on Peter, James, and John, what were they doing? They were sleeping. In other words, they had basically made the decision that said, hey, we got this. We don't need to pray. We don't need to get into God's word. We don't need to be connected to the family of God. We are strong enough that no matter what challenge, no matter what, what trial, no matter what difficulty comes against us, we're strong enough. Isn't that exactly what Peter said? He said, no, Lord. He said, don't even go there. I will never deny you. You see, Peter thought in and of himself that he was stronger than he really was. And that is self-deception. And there are some people here in this room here today that you're being deceived the same way by the enemy. And he's convinced you that you're strong enough without God, that you're strong enough without prayer, that you're strong enough without the word of God, that you're strong enough without the people of God. And it's the deception of the enemy that if you're not careful is going to cause you in a moment of crisis to make the wrong decision in your life. And that's what Peter did. What did Peter do? He ended up denying the Lord. And as a result of that decision that Peter made, listen to me, joy died. Peace died. He felt like his purpose had died. He felt like God's plan for his life had died. He felt like he would never recover from that bad decision that he had made. Let me tell you who Peter represents here. Peter represents that person who did something that they said they would never do. That person that may be in this room here today that said, you know what? I'll never have an abortion. But then you get pregnant out of wedlock. You get pregnant when you're young. And you're faced with the reality of having to have a child and raise that child as a teenager. And what you thought you would never do, now that you're in the reality, now that you're facing that trial, now that you're facing that challenge, you do something that you said you would never do. I would never cheat on my spouse. I would never be unfaithful to my spouse. I would never commit adultery with my, uh, against my spouse. But then your marriage hits a crisis and you're in the reality of things and you do something that you said that you would never do. Young people that say, I'll never have sex outside of marriage. I will not have sex before I get married. But then you put yourself in a dangerous situation and all of a sudden you're faced with reality. Do I give in or do I say no? And so many have done things that they said that they would never do. And what does that lead to? It leads to a death of joy. It leads to a death of, sh of, of, of peace in your life, making you feel like that you could never recover. And here's Peter. Listen, Peter, instead of getting some deliverance, ended up needing some deliverance. And but, but, but here's the good news. The good news is that even though Peter made a mess in the middle, God still wasn't done with him. And somebody here this morning, amen, 
Somebody here this morning needs to know that even though you made the wrong decision when you were in the middle of that crisis, when you were in the middle of that reality, when you were in the middle of that trial, when you were in the middle of that challenge, did you know that after the resurrection, do you know the first person that Jesus came looking for? He came looking for Peter and he had already prayed for Peter. He said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I want you to know I want you to know something, Peter, that even after Satan has sifted you as wheat, and even when you've made the wrong decision, I want you to know that I'm still going to be there with you in the middle. And after the resurrection, what did Jesus do? He completely restored Peter's life. Oh, hallelujah. Stay with me this morning now because I want you to see, I didn't use this illustration or this example in the first service, but I think I got a little bit more time here in this second service. So just hang with me because I have to go back to the Old Testament to a man by the name of Job. And Job's reality was this. The Bible says that he was a man who feared God and he shunned evil. The Bible says that he was perfect. He was perfect before God, that he shunned evil, that he was the richest man, by the way, in all of the East, the most powerful man in all the East. God had blessed him tremendously. But then one day the devil shows up at the throne of God as an accuser, which is what he is. And he said, God, the only reason why Job is serving you the way that he's serving you is because you've blessed him so much. You take that hedge down and let me take all that stuff away that you've given him and I'll, I'll have Job cursing you to your face before you know it. And do you know what God does? God removes the hedge and allows the enemy to attack Satan and to, or to attack Job and to take away everything that Job had. He lost his family. He lost his possessions. The only thing that was left standing was he and his wife. And so his reality has now presented him with a dilemma. What am I going to do? Am I going to continue to trust God? Am I going to continue to worship God? Even though it seems like God has set me up as a target, even though there's some things happening to me in my life that I don't deserve, some things that are happening in my life that I never asked for, what's my choice going to be? Am I going to continue to worship God or am I going to blame God for all of this? And at that moment is when deception tried to present itself to Job through his wife and his friends. Because how many of you know sometimes it can be family members and friends that try to keep you from the purpose of God for your life? And his wife looked at him and said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Get it over with. And then his friends come along deceiving and saying, Job, the reason why all this is happening to you, this wouldn't be happening to you if there wasn't sin in your life, Job. And Job knew that he had been true to God. Job knew that he had made the right choices and the right decisions when it comes to his relationship with God. But you know what Job did? He did the opposite of what Peter did. He didn't listen to the voice of deception, but he continued to stay focused on the character of God. And because he was focused on the character of God, he made the right decision in the middle. And he said this, he said, I'm gonna shave my head. He said, I've ripped 
off all my clothes. He said, I fell to the ground. And you know what he did? He said, and I worshiped. And I said, blessed he, he the Lord gave and the Lord takes away, he said. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the last verse of chapter one says, in all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And because of that, hallelujah, because of that, the enemy's purpose for his life died, but not God's purpose. And do you know what happened to Job? He experienced deliverance because everything he lost, when you get to Job chapter 42, Verse 7, it says that God restored double everything that the enemy took away from him. You see, it's important that you know the method of the middle because if you don't know the method of the middle, then you can't manage in the middle. You say, Pastor, what, what does this have to do with Easter? I'm glad you asked. God had a dilemma. The reality was this. The reality is, Adam and Eve had sinned, and as a result of their sin, that sin had separated mankind from God. That's the reality. Our sin separated us from God. But the Bible tells us that God is love. And that God still desired to have a relationship with us, even though that relationship had been broken by sin. That God still wanted to have a relationship with us, but he couldn't because not only is God a loving God, he's a holy God. And not only is he a God of love, but he is a just God. And so here's God's dilemma. I love them. I want to have a relationship with them but they can't happen as long as there's sin in the way. And so God had to put together a plan because he knew that in order for sin to be removed, somebody had to die. You see, that's how God was able to satisfy both him being a loving God and a just God. Because somebody had to die for the sin and God determined who that would be. But there was deception. Not on God's part, because you can't deceive God. Let me tell you who was deceived. The devil was the one that was deceived. Because he thought he could stop God's plan. He thought he could manipulate God's plan. But oh, was he ever deceived that he would not be able to stop that he would not be able to hinder the plan of God. So in spite of the devil trying to work so hard to stop the plan of God, God still made a decision. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But God knew that that decision that he made would lead to death. Jesus would have to die for your sins and for my sins. But because God made the right decision and because Jesus died as a part of the plan of God, you and I can be delivered today from sin. You and I today can be delivered from shame. You and I today can be delivered from guilt. 
You and I can be delivered today from addictions. You and I can be saved today. You and I can be healed today. You and I can be free today because of what decision God made. Oh, somebody ought to give God a praise in this room. <laughs> but you see, you got the crying at reality. You got the shouting at the resurrection. But what about that silence on Saturday? How many of you have ever been there where you've asked God for something and there's silence? Where you've been believing God for something, but there's silence. Where you've been trusting God for something, but there's silence. Listen, just because things are silent doesn't mean God's not working. Oh, I got to say that again. Even though things may be silent in your life right now, doesn't mean that God is not working. On that Saturday, between the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, on that Saturday, things were quiet from a natural perspective. Oh, but if you could have just seen what God was doing on Saturday, if you could just see what God is doing in the Saturday moments of your life, oh, because the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, it talks about some people who died believing what God had promised them. Now, now, now what he's talking about here is he's talking about folks like Adam and Eve, Abel, He's talking about folks like, like Noah. He's talking about folks like Moses, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like Elijah, like David. He's talking about folks like the prophets of the Old Testament. And even those who died in Christ in the New Testament, people like John the Baptist. And notice what he says about these people. He said they still believed what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. What did they welcome? Let me tell you, whereas you and I, we look back on the cross for our redemption, these Old Testament saints that died believing the promise, they looked forward to the cross for their redemption. That was the promise that they had, that Jesus would ultimately come, that the Messiah would ultimately come and that he would pay the price for their redemption. Well, these people died having never seen that promise of redemption take place. But they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. They agreed that we're people of the middle, that we're kind of caught in the middle right now. Do you know where those people were? They were in a place called Hades. The Old Testament called it Sheol. It's not hell. It's called the abode of the dead. And Hades in the heart of the earth has two compartments. There's a compartment where the unrighteous dead are, 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 are abiding. And then there's a compartment where the righteous dead are, are being held captive. And the only thing that stands between the unrighteous dead and the righteous dead is a great chasm. You may remember a conversation that took place between a rich man and Lazarus. And they were talking to each other because one of them was righteous and the other one was unrighteous. And they're having this conversation from one side of that chasm to the other. But it's not hell. The abode of the dead is where the unrighteous and the righteous are being kept, where, where, where they were being kept, where they were being held captive. Now listen, the unrighteous dead, they will remain in Hades 
until that great white throne judgment when God will raise them from the dead, they will be judged according to their sins, and then they will be cast into hell. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. But what about those righteous dead like Adam and Eve and Abel and Moses and Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? Well, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9 about Jesus. It says that before he went back to heaven, before he ascended at his resurrection, the Bible says that when he ascended, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. But then it says, but he that ascended, that before he ascended, what did he do? He descended into the lower parts of the earth. Why? Because Jesus had to complete the plan. Now that he's completed that plan of redemption, for those who had been looking forward to it, now he goes into hell himself or he goes into Hades himself. And do you know what he does? He grabs the devil by the nap of the neck and he takes away from him the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he walks over to that prison where those righteous dead have been held captive, where they have been waiting for the promise where they have been waiting for Jesus to come and set them free because the Bible said he led captivity captive and he unlocks that prison door that held them captive in the heart of the earth and it says he led captivity captive. That is, he relocated Hades. He relocated the abode of the dead for the righteous. He relocated what many call paradise from the heart of the earth to the presence of the Father. No, you couldn't see it, but even when you don't see it, he's working. You couldn't feel it, but even when you don't feel it, let me tell you something, he is working. And listen to what David said in Acts chapter 2. David said this. This is a quote from him in Psalm 16. King David said this. I see the Lord is always with me. You need to know that in the worst middle that you have ever had to go through, that the Lord Jesus Christ, he never leaves you. He will not abandon you, but he is with you. He said, and I'm not going to be shaken. Now you got to understand, he's still caught in the middle. He's still stuck in the middle. Maybe wondering, is Jesus ever going to come and fulfill that promise? But he said, I'm not going to be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. Hallelujah. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. I'm trying to tell you this morning that if Jesus loved you so much that he would come to this earth and then he would go to the cross and then he he would go into a grave and descend into the very innermost parts of the earth that no matter what you're going through in this life, he's with you. He's with you every single step through the middle. Hallelujah. Amen. But there's a message and I want the team to get ready to come to do a song that helps drive this message home. I, I, I tried to find scriptures in the Bible that talked about what happened on Saturday. And there's only two. And they both basically say the same thing. 
But on that Saturday, let me tell you what happened. The Bible tells us that after Jesus was crucified and his body was placed in a tomb, the women went back to their house and they began to prepare spices and their plan was to come back later that day and anoint the body of Jesus. But as women have a tendency to do sometimes, when they're working together, they got to talking, got to enjoying one another's fellowship. And by the time they got those burial spices prepared, it was too late for them to go back to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body because the Sabbath began at sundown. And so they didn't have the spices ready by sundown and they couldn't go on the Sabbath because Saturday is a Sabbath. And they couldn't go on Saturday so they had to wait until Sunday and that's when they showed up and found that the tomb was empty. But I want you to notice what they did on that Saturday. They went home prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body, but by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested. Imagine that. Right smack dab in the middle. They rested. And that's the message of the middle this morning. Rest. Trust. Chill. You're not walking this journey alone. The Lord walks with you. Listen to me, you can trust Him today to get you through the middle. Amen? Team's gonna do this song. And then I'm going to come back with just a few closing remarks. You 
needs to be reminded today that your resurrection is coming. The promise that God gave you is coming. Don't lose the hope of that because it's the hope of that that gets you through the hell of this. There's some of you here in this room today and you have a dilemma of your own. Your reality is this. Your reality is that if you were to die today, you would go to hell. Plain, simple, true reality. That's the reality of some people in this room here today that if you, if you were to die today, you would spend eternity in hell. And you are here this morning on this Easter of 2021 and you're facing a dilemma. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna accept Jesus? Or are you gonna reject him? And it's very important that in that dilemma that you listen to the right voices. You listen to what I'm saying here today because the enemy would like to come in and deceive you and tell you that you don't need God in this life or the next life. That you can make it fine without him. And it's sad that there will be some that will walk out of this room today that will listen to the deception of the enemy and they'll make a decision based on that deception. But my prayer today is for those of you that are facing that dilemma that you'll not listen to the lies of the enemy. But that you'll bring your focus to a hill called Golgotha. On that hill. There was, there was not just one cross on that hill. There were three crosses on that hill. On, on one cross... There was a criminal, and that criminal looked at Jesus and said, if you are the Son of God, prove it by saving yourself, and while you're at it, save us. But then there was another cross with another criminal on it, and he looked across at the other criminal, and he said, how can you say that? Do you not have any fear of God whatsoever? This man has not done anything wrong. This man is dying an innocent death. And then he looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. There was one who in that moment made a decision to reject Christ but then there was another one in that moment who made a decision to accept Christ. One would end up spending eternity in hell, but the other, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me 
in heaven. How do you get from there to there? I'll tell you how. Through the man in the middle. That all you have to do today is put your hope in the man in the middle. Put your trust in the man in the middle. Because the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, that God was through Christ doing what he was reconciling man back to God. So what are you going to do with that dilemma today? What's your decision going to be? With every head bowed and every eye closed, please, no one looking around in this room right now. Because I'm telling you, you're about to make the most important decision of your life. Some of you have already made that decision. You've already put your faith, your trust, your hope in Jesus. But there's some here today that are ready to do that. And if you're here and you would say, Pastor, today I want to receive Jesus. Today I want to put my hope in him. Today I want to put my trust in him. I don't want to die and go to hell. I want to spend eternity with, with God in heaven. I want you to get your hand up. Just lift up your hand. Lift up your hand. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Bless you. I see those hands going up. Now, I want everybody in this room here right now, I want you to pray it out loud, and I want you to pray this with me, especially those that just lifted your hand. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you lived a perfect, sinless life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that your body was put in a tomb. But I believe three days later you rose again. And I believe you're alive today. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Did you know that the Bible said, and listen to me, the Bible says this, the Bible says that if what you just said, that if you, if you believe that sincerely in your heart, that you're not just repeating what I tell you to do, but that you believe that sincerely in your heart, that Jesus is the son of God, that, that, that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life, that he died for your sins on the cross and that he was raised again and he's alive today. The Bible says that if you believe that sincerely in your heart and confess it with your mouth like you just did, that you are saved. And that the Bible says everybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can we thank God for those who made the right decision today? Come on, let's stand up on our feet. And let's give the Lord some praise in this room right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Father God, we just thank you that you are with us. Not just in the reality of the cross and the wonderful news of the resurrection, but you're with us right here in the middle. And Lord, every single day of our life, we're going to live it trusting you, putting our hopes in you, putting our faith in you, because Lord, we know that that's the only way that we can navigate through the middle, the only way that we can outlast the middle. It's when we invite you into our middle 
And we let you be the leader. We let you be the director. We let you be the manager of the things of our life. So thank you today for grace. Thank you today for hope. And thank you today for help for the middle. In Jesus' name. Come on, one more time. Let's put our hands together. How many of you know he is alive this morning? How many of you know that he has risen today? Hallelujah. Come on, praise him like you know he's alive. Praise him like you know he's risen. Amen. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God. Being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.